Can I have our veteran stand, please? We have a special thank you for you. On Veterans Day, we all who honor all who answer to service a call. Soldiers young and soldiers old fought for freedom, brave and bold. Some have lived while others died, and all of them deserve our pride. We are more proud of all the soldiers who kept thinking of red, white, and blue. They fought for us and all their, our rights. They fought through the many days and nights. And though we may not know each name, know each name, we all think veterans just are the same. Thank you. Let's pray. Father, we just give you thanks. You are the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Father, I thank you for our veterans. And I know there are people that are watching from England and and Canada. It's Remembrance Day there, Father. But we thank you for these brave men, these brave women. We thank you for their sacrifice. We thank you for all that they left to serve. We pray your blessing upon them, Father. We pray your healing upon their bodies, upon their spirit, upon their minds. Father, let them know how much we care, how much we love them, and how much we appreciate all that they have done. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you all. Children, you may head back to your classrooms. had so many comments today because I dressed up. Somebody die? (laughs) Yes. Somebody died. That's why I dressed up. Anyone ever made you a promise and then broke it? Don't look at anyone. I think pretty much everybody can recall a time when a promise has been made and the promise has been broken and, you know, and it depends on what the promise is, how big the promise, how difficult it is to, to overcome that. And um, the bigger the promise, the, the greater the break, right? And I don't doubt, I won't speak for everybody, but I know I can speak for myself and I probably can speak for everybody that we've broken a promise at some time. Parents are pretty bad at breaking promises, aren't they? Just ask their kids. <laughs> you said I could have a cookie after dinner. No, I said you could have a cookie after dinner if you cleaned your room. Yeah, but you said I could have a cookie after dinner. You broke your promise. Yeah, you said. 
And in promises, they come in all different shapes and sizes, don't they? Your word. Your, your word is, in essence, a promise. You, know, you say you're going to do something. In effect, you're, you're making a promise to do something. You may not use the word promise, but it's inferred in your word. A vow. A vow is a promise. It's kind of like a, a promise on steroids, right? You make a vow that's a bigger deal than just a promise. You don't want to break your vow. You can break your promise, but you don't want to break your vow. A broken vow is a big deal. A covenant is another one. Covenant is a, is a promise often in the form of an agreement. Maybe it's written down and it's permanent. A pledge is another promise. It's also an agreement. We pledge allegiance to the flag, right? But it could be a pledge of money. I, I promise to give this money, oftentimes again written down. An oath is another form of a promise. You know, you go to court and they, they ask you to swear to tell the truth. You give an oath to tell the truth. And all of these are, are promises to different degrees, different weights of promises. It's kind of odd. It's complicated. And I think that's why Jesus said to us really simply, he said, let your yes be yes and your no be no. Make it easy. Let your word be your promise. This morning I want to talk about promises. We're in a series called To Bethlehem and Beyond. It's the journey that begins in the spiritual realm and it ends in the spiritual realm. And in the, in the middle, we're in all of this stuff. So we're going to take a leap this morning. Uh, we're not taking a leap as large as I was planning to take a leap. I wanted us to get all the way from Adam to Abraham. We're not going to get quite that far. We're going to get from Adam to Noah. But we'll mention Abraham. And then we'll pick up Abraham next week. And I want to camp on Abraham. That's why. Um, and I couldn't fit it all in. So. The Garden of Eden. God creates Adam, the first human. Then from Adam, God creates Eve, the first woman. Puts them in a paradise called Eden. Have everything that they need. We can't even begin to imagine what that was like to be in paradise. It's not just a good garden. There's more to it than, than that. And... He, he tells them, I love you, trust me, I love you. He says, as long as you trust me, it's all going to go well. If you choose not to trust me, it's not going to go so well. But you are free to choose, trust or not trust. We all know the story, right? They chose not to trust. It doesn't go well. They get cast out of paradise. There's brokenness and, and everything that goes with all that brokenness enters into all of creation. Now what caused that? As I said, it began in the spiritual world. Satan, the fallen angel, appears as a serpent, tempts both Adam and Eve not to trust the Lord. He lies, he deceives, he makes wrong seem right and right seem wrong. And he's very, very convincing. And Adam and Eve both fall for it and we fall for it too. But in that fall comes the very 
first promise. It's found in Genesis chapter 3, verse 14 and 15. The Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, you are cursed more than all animals, domestic and wild. You will crawl on your belly, groveling in the dust as long as you live. Now, obviously, there's a lot of symbolism in that. Because he's not talking to snakes. They're just animals, reptiles. He's talking to Satan. And he continues on. He says, and I will cause hostility between you and the woman. And between your offspring and her offspring. He will strike your head. And you will strike his heel. So there's this, this, this first promise. Her offspring that the Lord is Referring to the Lord God is Jesus Christ. He says, he is going to strike your head and it will be a killer blow. You'll strike his heel. You might hurt him, but you will not stop him. He will be victorious. It's a promise. It is the word of the Lord. It is a promise. And so the journey from there to Bethlehem begins. Adam and Eve kicked out of paradise. Now they've got to make it on their own. We can't even imagine what that was like. Now people back then lived a lot longer than they do now, way longer. The gene pool was very, very pure. It was brand new. Bacteria and viruses had not had time to develop like they have today. So Adam and Eve set about populating the world. But it's twisted And evil is right there at the start. Their first two children, the oldest one, murders the youngest one in a fit of jealousy. I mean, it's not a good start, is it? The first two kids, one murders the other one. It's twisted. And then there's a lot of weird stuff that goes on. Interactions between fallen angels and human woman. Weird, weird stuff that I'm not going to get into this morning. You can read about it in Genesis 4, 5, and 6. But evil reigns. Now, I can understand this. I'm sure neither Adam or Eve felt much like spending time with the Lord after being kicked out of Eden, after being kicked out of paradise. They joined the Triple F Club. Anyone ever been in the Triple F Club? A lot of fighting, a lot of fussing, and a lot of fuming. You heard of triple A, there's triple F. They're out in the, outside of the garden, they're in wilderness, they've got to fend for themselves, it's not easy. God has cursed the ground, so it's even difficult for them to grow plants. And they're hiding in shame, they're probably bitter and angry towards the Lord, bitter and angry toward each other. If you had not done this, well if you had not done this, wait, 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 wait. Playing the blame game. They've gone from, from, from paradise to the struggle of survival and all the brokenness of this fallen world in just a moment. Boom. And they've experienced death already. And I'll bet Satan was still in the mix. We don't read about these times. We don't really know. But I mean, he was there talking to Eve, tempting her. I'm sure he was still out there. I told you you couldn't trust him. Look at the mess you're in now. It's all his fault. Boy, if your God was just a little bit more gracious, but no, 
Man, I don't even know why you got any time for that guy. It's not a good scenario. And they were truly separated from God. Now that's going to affect everybody around them as they populate the world. They've got children. How they feel about God is going to affect their children. It's going to affect everybody. And it's not a good environment. But something odd happened. And it's at the end of chapter 4, and there's just a mention of it. And I was going to get to Abraham, and I got hung up on this verse. So Adam and Eve have a third child, a third named child. We don't know if it was actually their third child, but their third named child called Seth. And in Genesis 4, 25 and 26, it says this. Adam had sexual relations with his wife again, and she gave birth to another son. She named him Seth, for she said, God has granted me another son in place of Abel, whom Cain killed. When Seth grew up, he had a son and named him Enosh. And then there's this sentence, it just got me hung up. At that time, people first began to worship the Lord by name. Some versions say, call upon the Lord. The word translated as worship or or call out there means literally to passionately cry out. You ever been in a worship service where we just had a good word? You could just feel the Holy Spirit. You know, it's like, wow, God. That's why some versions say worship. It's that that sense of intensity, that sense of connection with God. Wow, God, oh my gosh, I'm just worshiping here. On the flip side of that, you ever been in a situation where you're so desperate, so afraid, or so worried that you cry out to God? Oh God, we need you. God, please help us. It's the same word. It's the same expression. It's the same feeling. It means to really cry out to the Lord in your spirit. Now, let me set this in perspective. This is now two to three hundred years after the fall. So they get kicked out of Eden two to three hundred years later. At that time, people first began to worship the Lord by name. Now, I don't know about you. I have a hard time remembering what happened last week. Sometimes I can't remember what I preached on last Sunday. (laughs) What was that? I need to follow that up. Like, what did I preach on? I have to go back and look at my notes. A month ago, I have a hard time remembering what happened a month ago. Three months ago? Three years ago? Thirty years ago? This is 300 years. 300 years since they last called upon the name of the Lord. 300 years of silence. 300 years of being away from God. That's got to affect you, hasn't it? That's got to affect a community, a society, a group of people. But something happens with Enosh. We don't know the details. But Enosh and his people begin for the first time calling on the name of the Lord. 
ignored him for 250, 300 years. And now they begin calling on his name. Why? What happened? Could it be simply in response to the evil that's going on around him? If you read those chapters, it's very, very strange times. It's, it's dark. But Enosh and his people begin for the first time to call to worship the Lord by name. So something has happened there. Now I want to move on to Noah and then circle back around this. This all goes on for, for quite a while. Can we have the next slide, please? Now, I know that's very difficult for you to see. I love numbers. I'm sorry. So I put together a little. This, this is from Adam down to Noah. D.O.B., date of birth. How long they lived. When they died. And then the yellow are the years. The red are the years along the top. That's, that's their lifespan. And I, I thought it was just interesting because people live for so long. I mean, look at the year 900. In the year 900, Adam is alive, his son is alive, his grandson is alive, his great-grandson is alive, his great-great-grandson, his great-great-great-grandson, his great-great-great-great-great-grandson are all alive. Can you imagine being alive with nine generations? I would struggle with two generations. When I go back to England, you know, I've got my sisters and then there's their kids. I know their names, but their kids have kids. I don't know who they are. Sandra has to remind me all the time. We get together at a family. Who's that? That's your sister. Oh. (laughs) But you've got all of these, these generations. Sixteen hundred and fifty six years. See the number at the very bottom left? Sixteen hundred and fifty six years after Adam came into being. The Lord selects a righteous family. Seven generations after Enosh, who first began to call upon the Lord, seven generations later, the Lord decides to start over and he picks this family, Noah, and his wife and their three sons. I just put the boys there, 1556, they were born. 1656 years. I don't know if that interests you. I just like, it, it puts things in perspective for me. This is a long time. 1656 years ago, who lived here? Don't know. Maybe nobody. But that's, that's, that's how long. And evil has been reigning in the world for most of that time. And God picks a family, Noah, a direct descendant of Enosh, seven generations later. And says, this man is faithful. This man calls upon me. I'm saving this man and his family. And we're doing a do-over. And he causes the flood. We all know the story of the flood in Noah and his Boys and their wives are on the ark and God wipes out everybody on the earth and the evil that is prevalent on the earth. Can we go to the next slide, please? So another one that's hard to see. So the rains recede. The ark's on dry land. They get off the ark. 
God has given them a command. Do you know what the command is? Go populate the earth. And they go in different directions. Ham goes off towards North Africa, Africa, and still a little bit of the Middle East. Shem takes the rest of the Middle East and actually goes off. His descendants go into Asia. And then Japheth is Europe. And these people spread out. There's There's an account in Genesis chapter 11 of the Tower of Babel. It's a weird account. Very strange account. All the people are together. God has told them to go and disperse, fill the world. And, and they've got one language and they're building this tower. And God comes down and there's this strange conversation between God and someone else. We've got to do something about these people. And that's where he mixes up their languages so that they spread because they can't communicate with each other anymore. If you're inclined, if you like this kind of thing... Next slide, please. This creation.com, go into that website and search for Noah and genetics. And it's a really interesting secular world genetics that traces back. And, and the genetics come back to three groups of people. Very strange. Quite a coincidence, I think. All right, I want to go back to Enosh. Nice short message for you. I'm almost done. Can I have an amen? Amen. Thank you. (laughs) Because we can't get the Abraham. Enosh had faith. Faith enough in the midst of a tsunami of evil to worship and call upon the name of the Lord. To worship the Lord by name. To profess his name, to call out his name in a, in a place of darkness and absolute evil that is reigning. He had the courage, him and his family, to call on the name of the Lord. That means that you trust in the Lord. You acknowledge God for who he is, even in a moment when the presence of the Lord is not readily evident. You ever been in a situation where you pray for something and, and you just can't feel God? And you don't see God? And sometimes it doesn't go the way that you want it to go. And, and there's that sense of, well, really? Where are you, God? I faithfully called upon your name. In the midst of that, Enosh just continues to call upon the name of the Lord. Now, what caused him to do that? I believe it was because of God's promise. There is a spiritual DNA and there is a genetic DNA. And you can trace a line from Eve to Enosh. Why Eve and not Adam? They're out in the garden, outside of the garden. They're in darkness. Everything's going wrong. One boy kills the other boy. It's horrible. But when she gets pregnant again, what does she say? She gives praise to God. God has given me another son. Thank you, God. And I believe Eve passes that on to that son who passes that on, who passes that on. And we have this line now of of faithfulness that you can trace from Eve to Enosh, Enosh to Noah, Noah to Abraham, Abraham to David, David all the way on down to Bethlehem and Jesus. 
There is a physical line of DNA and there is a spiritual line of DNA faithfulness in this family. Handed down from Eve through the generations and onto us. And like I said, we're not going to get to Abraham today. But let me close with this. Is it too early to talk about Christmas? Have you been to Walmart? It's not too early to talk about Christmas, is it? <laughs> My gosh, we haven't even reached Thanksgiving. And Anyone struggle with Christmas gifts? Yeah. It's hard to buy gifts for people, right? Kids are not so hard. But people, kids are people. Kind of. But adults, it's hard to buy gifts for adults because most of us in the society that we live in, we have all the stuff we want. You know, I always feel sorry for Sandra. What's she going to buy me? She never gets it right. (laughs) One of us doesn't. But she's smart. My wife is smart. She listens. All year she's listening and she's watching. And she picks up clues. And she either buys something. She's probably got my Christmas present in June. Because of something that I said. She's like, oh, okay, there. Or maybe she she keeps a list. She loves lists. I, I, I swear she has a list of her lists. And she listens for clues. God is listening and watching for clues. He's looking for faithful ones. He's looking for those who call upon his name in the midst of nothing. No answer. No hope, it seems. In the midst of darkness, he's looking for the ones who just continue to call upon his name, to trust in his name. Whether they get the answer or not, God, I trust in you because you are God. You are the name above all names. You are the only name that I can go to. And whether I get the answer or I don't get the answer, there is no other name. And I continue in faith to call upon you, my Father. My Lord. And he's looking and watching for clues of faithfulness. So that he can strengthen those who are faithful. That he can show himself strong to those who are faithful. You know the best Christmas gift that you can give to the people around you? Is your faithfulness. Not just in what you say. Because we can all give it lip service. Right? I love God. God's my main man. But in how we live. Our neighbors. Our spouses. Our children. The people we work with. They're looking for clues. They're looking for evidence. Of our faithfulness. So let me just close with this simple statement. If you say you're a follower of the Lord, 
then live by your word. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, we give you thanks. You are compassionate. You are loving. You are ever faithful even when we are unfaithful. And Father, we're going to talk about your promises next week, but I just want to jump into them right now. You promise that you will never leave us, that you will never forsake us. You promise that you have a hope and a future for us. Your promises are wonderful, Father, and you are the promise keeper. Father, I pray you would reach down in the power of your Holy Spirit, just like Enosh in the midst of darkness. At that time, people first began to call upon your name. Father, may we be the ones who call upon your name. Not just in what we do, in what we say, but in what we do. How we live and our attitude toward life. Strengthen us, Father. Let us be worthy of your name. In Jesus' name, amen.